This is Learning Innovation, the teaching and learning podcast, also known as LittlePod. We are created by Lethbridge College's Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation, located in Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada, on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. In the spirit of equity, diversity and inclusion, and Nitsitapi Simstan, or real thinking, we play host to a spectrum of guests from the teaching and learning community. As we highlight and explore innovation in education, we hope to kindle warm conversations, expand perspectives, and foster lasting partnerships today, tomorrow, and beyond. The future of learning starts now. Aki, and welcome to episode number 34 of The Little Pod. I'm Tatiana Kloster. And I'm Daryl Benebeck. We've got a panel of guests here to talk all about their work in maker spaces. We have Rich McHugh from the University of Victoria, Robert Horlarcher from the University of Lethbridge, John Newman from Old College, and Jesse Sorensen from Lethbridge College. Welcome, everyone. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having us. (laughs) Much appreciated. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, um, let's dive right in, folks. So we invited everyone here today because we want to share, learn and explore a similar passion we all have, makerspaces. So we'd love to go around uh, to each guest and hear about the makerspace they're working on, what it means to them and to their institute. John, why don't we start with you? What's happening at Olds College? Um, So... Really, our makerspace, we actually just built um, a new location. It's sort of really similar to the old location, but it's it's larger, and it doesn't look like a cluster of equipment shoved into a corner um, and somebody's personal workspace. So, um, you know, our hope is to, now that we actually have a, a real space, to bring students in, um, get them ex- exercising their creativity, um, and, and just going from there. Um, we also have some some new programming that I hope to integrate some of this into, um, some of our new technology programming. So that's exciting for me. Um, and, and really like, I didn't know that I had a passion for this kind of stuff until our previous director decided, hey, you know, I need somebody to run the one 3D printer that I have. And then that began my, um, my addiction into 3D printing, we could say, although, you know, that's usually a negative word, but it really is a a passion and you get a love-hate relationship when something goes right and it goes really right, you're like, yes. And when it goes wrong, you want to take a hammer and and start breaking things. Um, But uh, usually success is far away, um, the failures, and uh, I'm really happy with it, so. Perfect. And Jesse, what about you? What makerspace are you involved in with here at LC? But I'm involved with the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Innovations Makerspace. We're really new, like September. <laughs> very, very new. <laughs> um, but we've been trying to uh, kind of make a five-year plan, and we've been working through uh, getting faculty uh, and instructors really excited to be utilizing the space and, um, yeah, figuring out ways to have more... Uh, accessible and affordable resources for students and hopefully next year or so we'll have students be more involved in the space directly which will be pretty cool. Robert what about you at the U of L? So um, our makerspace it's called the innovation zone here um, and that's pretty much what we try to promote a lot of the time. Um, We're focused on basically Uh, helping students uh, create prototypes of whatever it is they might want to create. And then we actually have side programming where we help students to um, start up their own businesses. Um, So our makerspace, it has um, pretty stereotypical things. We have a bunch of 3D printers, vinyl cutter, vacuum former, uh, laser cutter, um, button makers, sewing machines, and then a whole bunch of different shop tools. and then in terms of like our our university and what they kind of get out of it. So a piece of it is lots of our um, Alberta government stuff around like work integrated learning and stuff like that. Um, so we're trying to, that's part of why we're doing the prototyping and startups um, is just to like get people into that kind of business mindset. Um, lots of the workshops that we offer um, support that kind of stuff too. 
So things like, um, I actually just had a workshop this morning about logo creation for whatever it is people might want to do. Um, for myself, um, I'm similar to John. Um, I grew up like being in shops and stuff like that, but I didn't realize like how passionate I was about maker spaces until I started to get into this realm. And I, one of my favorite things for just like my own growth is that there's so many different realms to just learn. Like it's just endless learning opportunities and different ways of creating information and knowledge. So that's what I'm really passionate about with makerspaces. Thanks so much for sharing, Rob and John. Uh, what about you, Rich? What's going on at UVic? Yeah, we've uh, had ours up and running in the library, the main library at UVic, since the end of 2017, so a little while now. Um, I'm a little bit jealous of Rob and I think maybe John, too, in terms of the equipment we have. We had do have 3D printers and a laser cutter and some electronics, but... Uh, in the library, they get a bit touchy when we talk about woodworking and dirtier type things. So, <clears throat> so we do a, a fair bit of, you know, 3D design, 3D printing, prototyping, uh, a lot of software. Um, our most popular workshop is Microsoft Excel, ironically. So, yeah, I never would have guessed that when the request came in for that. But, uh, yeah, we do a lot of integration with uh, with professors across campus. Uh, we taught about 6,000 workshop participants last year, and about 80% of those were in four credit classes. So, and most of those we're going out to their class and, and leading them. We do a promo spiel on the makerspace so they know we're there and they can do our drop-in workshops or use our equipment. Uh, we do a lot of badging too for uh, credentialing, uh, which is popular, especially with our co-op students, so they can show employers that uh, you know, they've got some skills in an area outside of what they're studying at, uh, in their program, which is nice. And even some of them appreciate skills that they might be expected to, but just at a more granular level, they can demonstrate that they know how to set up a WordPress website or, you know, can do some basic 3D design and 3D printing. That's brilliant. I just love the diversity of examples that you have just shared, folks. It makes me think about how makerspaces are these innovative catalysts essentially to equip our students with those 21st century skills that we keep hearing about. How would you explain what maker spaces are to someone who's, let's say, a first year student or even a faculty member who's completely unfamiliar with what this is? Actually, one of the one of the things, and again, this is partly because we're in a library and like to differentiate ourselves, but we tell people that we help students, faculty, and staff explore and express their ideas in ways other than text. So 3D printing, 3D design, electronics, uh, visualization, data visualization, and, and more, of course. But again, that's mainly because we're in a library and we want to let people know we're not just, you know, grandpa's library or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, and and I would say, uh, you know, how I've always looked at it is, it's it's a place where everybody can go to express varying degrees of creativity, whether it's you know, you don't have very very good art skills, but you want to create something, um, or whether you're somebody who's you know really good at 3D sculpting and you want to, you know, create a masterpiece on a 3D printer, or, you know, you're just curious and you're just like, I want to figure out how I can create something because um, you like to make. Um, and that's really what I always look at is it's a place where, you know, you take your imagination, whatever you're thinking, and we can make it happen and we can help you make it happen more importantly. Yeah. Like a space where uh, imagine imagination meets innovation. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Actually going to come at this from a little different perspective. Um, so for maker spaces, the thing I always think about with them isn't um, necessarily even the space component because maker spaces like they can be online, they can be like mobile, they can have like a physical space. So um, maker spaces, I think it's more of just like 
um, even outside of the space, just that idea of like creativity and stuff like that. But I would almost take the space component out of a makerspace because even like, say, like all of us obviously work in post-secondary, if all of the funding ran out for everything and we all just had like our position and that was all that got funded, you can still create programming and stuff like that with just like using open source programs and whatever. And I think that could still be considered a makerspace. This is a very insightful point. Thank you for sharing, Rob. Um, it's interesting to reflect on how the very concept of makerspaces transcends physical space, right? And I think this is what this pandemic has shown us, that we can do it. We can harness the power of online learning environments to still support our students' learning successes. This is great, folks. Yeah. And it's really interesting how makerspaces can create community. Um, it just strengthens that ability for students to learn from each other, for us to learn from students, faculty to engage with them. So, Rich, you mentioned that you started in 2017, which is shortly before the pandemic hit. So what are some challenges and triumphs from your makerspace and how did you manage the pandemic as well yeah that yeah that was challenging in a number of different ways uh fortunately i'm also a sessional and uh teach an ed tech class in the faculty of education here so uh, over a weekend i converted two or three of our workshops um to a hybrid model or a flip model that could be run completely online we couldn't do that with all our workshops uh, but we were able to do them with our all of our software ones for sure um, or we had electronics workshops that we were able to find some virtual tools for so that people could do the workshops uh, virtually without the tools in their hands, which isn't ideal, but at least they were able to learn the concepts. And once we were able to make those electronics kits available to them, they were able to do it. And actually Zoom, I'd use Zoom for podcasting, ironically, before uh, COVID hit. And it turned into a great tool for facilitating a large online class. What I was able to do, especially for software, I was able to make it so every participant could share their screen with me and any assistants. So that, you know, if we were doing a you know, 3D design workshop, I'd do the introduction, it would be hands-on time, I'd wander around the room and check in with people. Um, I was able to replicate that, not, not perfectly, but by everyone sharing their screens, I was able to sort of scroll through their screens individually, see how they were doing. It's amazing how many people struggle without asking a question, but when you see that they're struggling is, hey, do you need a hand with that? Oh yeah, actually, you know, could you help me with this? Or I had a question about that. Uh, so that's been one of the big things that's been wonderful coming out is we were able to convert our workshops pretty relatively easily to an online format. And then coming out of COVID, we've done a hybrid flexible format so people can come in face-to-face -face, or if they want to, they can come in virtually. And it's been amazing for some workshops in particular, especially ones with a lot of graduate students, 80 or 90% are choosing to come in virtually rather than uh, physically to the makerspace. Again, they're not you know, using shop equipment for it's all software based, but uh, I think it has opened us up to people who uh, due to family commitments, maybe couldn't make it into the work, uh, the makerspace quite as much, or they may have uh, anxiety issues, things like that, that make it more difficult for them to come in. They're able to come in, you know, virtually via Zoom. They can keep their screen off if their, you know, issues or their uh, camera off, their anxiety issues. And uh, I think that's been the, you know, the silver lining for us. We've been able to make ourselves much more open and available to our community than we were before. And uh, yeah, that's been one wonderful benefit out of a very lousy couple of years. Well, that really speaks to, to the amazing ability for makerspaces to create community just like we were saying that is that is just amazingly good and space itself now has become not just a physical in-person space it's now a digital realm where we can interact on levels that we never really have been able to before so uh, rob tell us a bit more about some of the challenges and triumphs that you have had so um similarly with covid prior to covid we didn't have um many uh online workshops 
but we had to obviously pivot pretty quick when um, the pandemic happened. So we have also actually started offering um, online workshops starting with uh, the September 2020 um, semester, which was really great. Um, and we've continued doing that too, because with our campus, we also have um, satellite campuses and it's always been a struggle to support them. Um, but with offering the online workshops, we're able to support our satellite campuses as well. So like places in like Calgary, where obviously the students are gonna come down to Lethbridge and driving two hours just to come for a workshop. But that's been a very um, helpful thing. Um, honestly, because of all of the stuff that we have in our makerspace, one of the biggest trials is health and safety. Um, it's obviously very important, but it's a lot of work to put all of the paperwork in place and have like make sure that every hazard and everything is articulated that this machine is going to hurt you in this way or it'll catch fire in that way. Um, that's definitely a really hard thing about makerspaces that isn't necessarily fun. But, um, it's obviously very important for the space as well, because people do need to be made aware of how things might hurt them, but it is uh, it's a lot of work to put in all of that stuff. Our health and safety loves us here. <laughs> so John, what about you? Some trials, I know you, you all started on a cart, didn't you? Well, so uh, the, the funny thing is, is um, it actually started out of our previous director's office. He had a, uh, a 3D printer actually from a, a Canadian company that, that is now non-existent, um, but they, they built them in Edmonton. So they were called uh, Machina. And it's a great, it's a great printer right now. It's not running. Cause I gotta, I gotta figure out what's wrong with it. But um, that's one of the trials, by the way, for anybody listening, um, they go wrong and finding out what went wrong, sometimes super easy and sometimes not. Um, but yeah, we, we started with, with a single printer and then, um, you know, I had the support of our director and, uh, you know, this newfound love. And so we, we expanded and our problem has actually been, um, we were tucked into a corner where there's room for one person. And, uh, you know, so, so it's been me running it all. And, you know, so our, our main trial now is now that we actually have a space, how do I engage the, the community to come in and run it? Right. Um, because makerspace tends to thrive when it's students and those people who are using it actually in there running it instead of coming to a person and requesting, you know, um, you know, for somebody to manufacture something, it's, it's better when they can go in, they can use the machines. And, and so that's our struggle is now that I have this space, how do I, how do I bring the students in? How do I engage the faculty to bring their students in? Um, we have a, a, you know, a unique opportunity as well in that our learning commons, our library is also a shared space with the Olds High School. Um, and that's actually where I've started to find the most engagement is with the high school right now, um, which I'm hoping once I can get that engagement, because it seems to be a little bit easier because, you know, high school kids are maybe a little bit more inquisitive. They actually have a course just down the hallway from where we are, where they learn about, it's called digital worlds. So they do design and all that stuff. And so, so that'll be easy. The hard part again, is that how do I, how do we get value to see our instructors see value in this and to go, okay, how do I, how do I put it into curriculum as well as also, you know, getting the students to just freely come in without, um, without a curriculum piece in mind to just say, Hey, you know, um, like I want to build something, something that they just think of. Um, and we've had students do that. Um, one of the, uh, the major successes has been a former alumni runs his own company and he, he grows gourmet mushrooms and we create a ton of, um, products for him, a ton of his, his equipment and stuff that, Otherwise, to get it made out of tin or steel or some other material costs them, you know, three times as much as it costs us to print it out of plastic that is 
looks also a lot more sci-fi and futuristic, which is what he's going for. So, yeah, thanks so much for sharing that, John. Um, so as a faculty member who, let's say, might be interested in these constructionist pedagogies, what would my first step be if I'd like to try integrating meaningfully maker spaces into my classroom, my curriculum and my pedagogy? What should I do? I know some of the feedback I've got from instructors is that using alternate uh, media for assignments is a, an easy way. For example, I got a uh, request from a poli-sci prof a couple of years back, just before COVID hit, wondering if we offered an infographic workshop because she wanted to uh, have them do an infographic. And she's quite pedagogically savvy. And as I thought, I thought, that's perfect. They have to you know, look through something, they've got to pick out the important details, they've got to highlight them in a, a textual and visual way. And I said, we don't have one, but that sounds awesome. You know, would you work with me on creating it? So over a couple of months, uh, we put it together and uh, we ran it for her class about a month before COVID hit. So, and that was, became a very popular uh, workshop uh, during COVID among uh, professors. Actually, just going back to what uh, one thing that John was mentioning, it's related to this as well. Uh, we've offered um, professor, we let professors know that if, they're, if they know they're going to be away at a conference or something like that, that we're happy to run a workshop for them, for their class in their absence. And I think uh, some profs who thought, oh, that was sort of cool, but it's going to, I'm going to have to, you know, figure out how to integrate this. When they're motivated by, I'm going to be away, I, I think that lights a fire under them in a way that if, you know, rather than just being more work, we're helping them solve a problem that they have. And that one, it gets us working with them so that in the future, they know that it's easy. And typically the their students are enjoy the workshops because it's hands-on and they can walk away with something that they can show, uh, show other people or that they can use in their assignment. And uh, the, yeah, and going forward, we can advertise the makerspace to their students who may or may not have known about us before. So I think it's a win-win all around when we can uh, we can do that. I uh, I know one way that we've been doing it is um, leaning into more the fact that um, the makerspace is a great way to have uh, and create uh, open education resources for students and faculty to utilize as well. Um, so most of that. Uh, Getting instructors into OERs is difficult in general because it costs a lot of money and I don't have a lot of time. So when we come in and we're like, hey, what if we just did that for you? But like with a little twist, they seem to be more like, oh, well, I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> Jesse, actually, if you could run us over some of the challenges and triumphs that you had in studying at Let's Make States, because <laughs> boy, oh boy, did we have some. It's been a journey. Um, so originally when we decided we were going to take the makerspace to like the next level, cause we were also just a cart, <laughs> um, over the summer we had about four or five of us on the team and, uh, due to other job opportunities and projecting is now just me <laughs> for the college. Um, so that was a big learning curve. I had about a solid two weeks of training and trying to absorb as much knowledge as humanly possible out of other team members who had to leave toot sweet. Um, thank goodness for like Donna, uh, Helen and Tyson very soon, um, because they were willing to at least like not go as in-depth as what I need to do today to day, but at least help with more of the time-consuming stuff, like for the resin printer of like physically going through and making sure nothing is solid in the print bed and draining the resin and reloading the resin and the files and adding supports onto files after I've cleaned them up. Um, just those like nitty-gritty stuff, because a lot of um, what I was doing before was more of the behind the scenes of like contacting instructors, researching what they needed, trying my best to either find um, models or images that I could then send to somebody else to try to 3D model. So it was a lot more of the like behind the scenes theoretical stuff and then I'd send it off to somebody to print and I just knew it would be taken care of. Um, now I do that and all of the other things. <laughs> um, but thank God I have a, a new media degree because <laughs> um, at least like if I didn't understand the, 
the specific program. I know enough of the fundamentals to jump into it pretty easily. Um, so yeah, right now it's mostly just time management and trying to get better at like uh, delegating, but also training at the same time and also learning myself at the same time. It's it's a journey, but it's working so far. <laughs> yeah, so sorry, folks, I'm just um, still thinking about ways we can support faculty who are curious about makerspaces. And so Rich, what, what you shared just really made me understand how faculty sometimes reach out to you as a partner, right? So they they have an idea, but perhaps they don't have time to fully develop that workshop. But there is a clear need uh, for students to know how to present information, not only in textual, but in different mediums. And so this is where you folks come in. Yeah, that we've got a history prof who came in and did a series of our workshops, our website workshop. Uh, we have some lightweight data visualization workshops for like before and after and uh, GIS. And they were talking about some other things that they were doing. And I thought, you know what, our electronics workshop would be really great, you know, using our Arduinos in sort of museum exhibits. It's something that we we didn't have and this was just before COVID hit and we didn't do anything during COVID but we've got a graduate student with some background in that area who's working on creating that for him and it it will be of interest particularly to the uh you know the history and the archival students who'd be working in museums and things like that but I think it would be something that would be uh really useful for high school as well and because we make all of our workshop curriculum creative commons license publicly available we can uh, not only promote that to faculty on campus, but also to the high schools around who might find it useful for projects that they're working on as well. And then you're building a bridge with those folks from high school and giving them a taste of uh, what post-secondary education might be like. I love it. Yeah. Well, and they bring classes and it's funny, one class came in and we showed them the 3D printers, which is always a hit. And uh and afterwards, they were talking to one of the subject librarians who knows a bit about the makerspace, but not a lot. And uh, the, the librarian brought him over. He said, you know, this person wants to know what career they would do to use a 3D printer. <laughs> I go, great question. Uh, you know, we'll introduce you to here, but it's probably engineering would be what you'd want to do. And how are your, you know, how do you feel about math? And they they enjoyed math, so I said, you know, engineering might be a good fit for you. So something to think about, anyways. So that was kind of fun. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Rob, John, anything to add to that when it comes to faculty engagement or faculty support? Yeah, um, at the U of L, um, one of the it's kind of similar to Rich. Um, one of the reasons why I started, um, why I got a job here was to um, answer a question that, or uh, uh, an assignment that will happen in classes. And that's when uh, faculty members will say, oh, you can write a paper or you can do this, or you can do whatever creative thing you want to do. So part of what we've done is help fill that random third one so people have some place to go to for support because um, just like we have places like the writing center or whatever it's helpful to have people who can tell you how to make a website or do videos or make a poster or whatever um, another thing that actually we've started doing because um, at our makerspace uh, like we have so many different tools and stuff people can access and if somebody's bringing in a class we don't necessarily have the ability to train like 40 people in an hour on how to use a 3D printer. Um, but people, um, faculty members want to use our space for whatever reason. So what we've actually started implementing to kind of satisfy that need that they have for wanting to come into the space um, without spending, I don't even know how long it would take to train 40 people on a 3D printer, but without having to do that, We've started offering um, maker petting zoos, which is basically we've set up a whole bunch of different stations with just like low barrier to entry stuff. 
um, so people can just bring in their class. They can all like sit down at whatever station kind of works for them, spend some time on that and move to the next thing. So we set up like uh, a table that just has like Lego spread all over it. Um, the most popular thing that we do at those is probably our button maker. People go insane over our button maker. That's like the only I've been telling people for a while, we only really need two pieces of equipment in our maker space. And that's a 3D printer and a button maker. Most people would be happy to just have those two options. Um, and then we like for the button maker, we set up a table with drawing and coloring so people can like create their own buttons and just turn it into a button right away. Um, then we have things like Makey Makeys or Ozobots and stuff like that too. So just having all these stations set up, it takes next to no effort for us to offer all of these things for people. And when classes come to do that, they're all super stoked on just like being able to do all these simple little things. And then, like I said, particularly the button maker, mm -hmm. that's, that's the main one. I have to say that that is like, so gratifying because when I when I started with the makerspace around like this time last year, originally it was just to build interest. So what I had done is like moved things off the cart and like put Lego out in the space and started moving things more into the library for students to use. And I thought because like I have a public library background as well. So I was like, oh, is this just my public library brain kicking in being like, come play with some Legos, but also look at the cool things we have. But it's it's nice to know that I'm not alone in doing that. <laughs> and it definitely, yeah, it definitely brought more interest and, like, awareness of the space because we did, like, signage and stuff to say, like, hey, this is the Makerspace Lego station. If you want to learn more, come talk to one of the librarians. So it, it definitely made, I think, that transition to when we started approaching faculty a bit easier it's also good for the students who use the space too. So like for students who aren't necessarily confident in like using a 3D printer, like that sounds just like insane to them or whatever. Having like these like more accessible stations, it helps to form like the basis of like building some confidence and stuff like that where they can kind of branch off of there to experiment with whatever other thing catches their interest after. Yeah, well, that's also where like the Mickey Bakies are good too, because it's a it's a nice like step down from the extreme of like our Drinos and like Raspberry Pis, but like still Mickey Makeys can be a ton of fun. Like we used to do them with uh, children's programming and just like hook it up to a computer and be like, "Look at you, you're playing Mario on bananas." <laughs> so I was just gonna say, you know, it just it brings up a you know an interesting point that. You know, sometimes people associate makerspace as being super high tech and all this crazy, crazy equipment, but it doesn't have to be right. You know, it can be something as simple as a button maker or Lego, um, because what it is, is it's about that creating, right? Um, and whatever you're creating in whatever medium is fine. Um, you know, we all love the flashy, you know, 3D printers. I mean, we have six um you know and and i have a huge passion for it but you know it is one of the things of doesn't have to be just that it can be you know whatever else and and that alternative alternative media to somebody just writing a paper a paper um you know a way to express thoughts and ideas in a different way so it's one of the things that's always nice to hear fellow you know makerspace people talk about those things and go oh yeah you know it's good to remember that so well, it's really interesting because this hits me as like a perfect solution to some forms of universal design for mm -hmm. teaching and learning, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's a space to empower students um, and help them get hands-on with their education and uh, get hands-on with just experiencing making their imagination into reality. Mm -hmm. We're starting up um, a student group for the makerspace here well the students are starting it and one of the students on that group um, the guy who's putting it together likes to call it technomancy where he's taking technology into imagination and creating reality so i love to see empowered students mm -hmm. when they're taking their learning like this so um john you told us about your student who's who's um started a business with with your help essentially um are there any other stories that you'll have about empowered students yeah, you know, um, 
that's the one that, that just really strikes strikes me all the time is is um you know creating that stuff for him but we've done a few other things like um one student we've helped him you know design and reiterate um through a, a unique method of advertising. So he was a brewmaster student. So in our brewery program, and um, he was going to some some conferences, some brewing conferences. And, uh, you know, he's like, I don't want to just hand out business cards, you know, because everybody hands out business cards. He's like, I want to do something unique. And so we came up with the idea of doing a coaster, you know, because you're at a brewing, uh, you know, conference, it makes sense that goes with beer is a, is a coaster. And so we took his logo and, and his information and converted it into, you know, a round coaster that, um, that we then figured out, okay, how are we going to print these coasters in two colors on a single color 3D printer, you know, and so figuring that out was was a fun challenge of going okay we'll print the first layer really thin in the one color you want and then print the back of the other color and um you know the response that he got was he said that everybody was like this is such a unique form of, of advertising your business um you know and i've seen other people do you know business cards that are 3d printed but that was one that just struck me as the student thinking outside the box of like i want to set myself apart um, while still being able to advertise, you know, my brewing brand. Um, so, so that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, uh, those are the two that really stand out to me. But one of the things that we found students really take, um, oh, laser, laser cutting coasters out of cork would have been really cool as well. Um, but one of the things that we've really found is neat is students and staff and faculty and members of the community come to us with broken parts. Uh, from old, you know, things that you can't get anymore or really old vehicles. And one of the things that I found I have apparently a talent for is um, reverse engineering these these broken parts to, you know, you can't find, for example, the headlight bezel for a 1950s Japanese mini truck in Canada. You can't do it. It's not possible. And even if you can find it in Japan, it's coming out of a junkyard and it's fragile. So, you know, taking that, um, scanning it and measuring it and figuring out how to redesign it so that you can print it for the students so that they can restore this, you know, passion that they have for Japanese mini trucks, which I didn't know was a thing, but it is a thing and it's, it's really cool, um, you know, or, you know, classic cars where you can't find the parts anymore. And they're like, hey, I need, I need just this part of the dash. And I can't find it. Or if I do find it, it costs me $2,000 for a $40 piece of plastic, you know? So um, doing that kind of stuff has really, really opened it up. And I, I, I don't know, part of me goes and I look and I see in the future, you see these, these places and they're not going to have this catalog of parts. They're going to have a digital catalog of parts that they can print you. And, you know, you're going to have these advanced 3D printers, which we're already seeing, although they cost an arm and a leg out there in the world. But, you know, oh, I'll just print up this this steel part for you. It'll be ready tomorrow. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Yeah. So, Rich, I know you have one more example to share of your collaboration with faculty. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, this this was another one that I didn't uh, expect to come across my desk, but uh, we had a, a Microsoft Excel workshop that became way popular than I thought. And then uh, someone from the uh, business faculty uh, messaged me wondering if I could run this workshop for some of their business students. I said, oh, that would be fine. And they said, actually, could you do it for all of our incoming business students? Because a lot of them are going off on their first co-op. And a number of them do have Excel experience, but a surprising number have no idea, and we're getting complaints from employers. So uh, that I said, no, that would be fine. So um, I guess it's about 200 every year. We've done it in a hybrid format, so I'm not actually having to do it face-to-face -face with 200 or uh, virtually with 200. But um, yeah, that really kick-started our badging program. We were seeing badging numbers, but they actually made the badge a requirement. They had to upload their badge to the learning management system to show that they'd actually completed the workshop. I think what this example shows is how important it is to have these makerspace experiences aligned 
with course learning outcomes and how important it is to identify and attempt to bridge some of those skills gaps. I know that students um, sometimes struggle with these nebulously defined things like collaboration, creativity, critical thinking, and maker spaces do have that potential to facilitate those competencies for students. And do it in a fun way, in an active yeah. way that, um, that you don't always get from some disciplines, which I won't name. <laughs> <laughs> But like, it's so cool that like makerspaces kind of have that opportunity to like, not only like make like teaching and learning fun, but like you can learn through playing and that's fine. And like learning through play, like it's, it's so fundamental at like every age, even though we only seem to like give it the spotlight when it's like children, but it, it continues through the rest of your life. <laughs> Yeah, it, it makes me think about how makerspaces can help students develop a growth mindset. So mm -hmm. I think it was you, Rob, who mentioned uh, building prototypes with students, right? And essentially, this is what learning is. You create something, you test it out, and then you tweak it. And so in this way, I can see how mistakes will be celebrated because they are just a, just a part of that creative process and and through like a, a makerspace you really embody that design thinking process and and we actually you know in in one of the new programs we just launched there is a a and one of the mandatory core courses is a design thinking course where the whole course is learning how to go through to the design process and that innovative thinking and when you think about it in in the workplace and in industry you know we expect students to be able to critically think you know everybody we hope that everybody can can you know have a degree of critical thinking and problem solving and and you learn that very quickly in uh in a makerspace when you're creating something of you know you create the first project and it's a disaster but you can quickly learn from, okay, this is where I went wrong. This is where the design didn't work. Let's redesign and do that. And that doesn't just have to be, you know, a 3D printed model. That's, you know, you're making a button or you're sewing, you know, a costume or you're building a Lego structure. And all of a sudden you realize, oh, that's hideous. Or, huh, if I tap it, it's just going to crumble and fall apart. Um, you know, so, so these kinds of spaces and the workshops and the experience that you you offer in a makerspace gives people and they don't have to be just your students they can be anybody who's engaging with it um, the chance to develop those critical thinking and the design thinking and you know the ability to to look at problem solving oh i encountered this problem how do i fix it um, so uh, that's one of the things that I really enjoy when you see people engage, you get to see the, those light bulbs go on when they figure out, oh, this is what I did wrong and this is how I can fix it. I'm curious about, um, as we just kind of wrap up here in the last little while, do you all have any questions that you're interested in asking each other? Yes, absolutely. To, to Rob and, and Rich, cause, um, you know, we've already touched on this a little bit, but you guys seem to have, you know, you're talking about these workshops that you run and stuff like that. Um, what, um, how many, how many folks do you guys have, you know, directly related to your makerspace? Cause it sounds like at, at Lethbridge really, it's just Jesse and, and here at Olds, it's just me. Um, you know, so, it, you know, when you have all of those, that responsibility plus all your other responsibilities it makes it hard so i'm just wondering what your team sizes are um you know how you manage the other responsibilities that you have on your plate um to also you know enable you to develop some of this learning that you you get to the students and faculty to engage in so i can tell you a little bit about us so um our maker space it is primarily myself um, and then we have student assistants and one other person who's um, kind of part time who does a little bit of work, um, but it really hinges on our student assistants for a lot of it um, and i'm just kind of delegating to them um, what they need to do 
um, which is mostly like providing things like training and stuff like that. Uh, th that that system is uh, difficult because like our student population is transient. So as soon as they leave, you have to invest lots of hours into retraining like these new people, especially when you have like a wide variety of equipment. Like if you're just trying to offer like 3D printing and or I don't know, just like a little handful, it, it's easier to um, maintain, but we have, uh, how many, it's like 18 different types of trainings within our makerspace along those lines. So every time we have a new student, they have to all be taught like all these 18 things for them to be like fully like competent in using the makerspace. Uh, so in balancing and your question about balancing, I, I think that's a very difficult um, component with offering a makerspace is balancing all of these various requirements, especially when lots of it hinges upon yourself. Mm -hmm. um, I would say f for for our makerspace, it would be helpful to at least have two of me. <laughs> that, that would be <laughs> an, I, a, a pretty good amount. But um, yeah, that's kind of what we're working with. I mean, we can always try to 3D print Rob 2.0. <laughs> there we go. This Perfect. is true. <laughs> Throw a Raspberry Pi in me and I'm good. <laughs> oh, Ed, there are two of me in, at the University of Victoria Library myself. I, I manage it. I've gotten a, um, I think her position is makerspace assistant, but she's much more than assistant. She teaches a bunch of our workshops. And then we've got funding and we've had funding for the past few years to get an uh, intern for eight months of the year or seven months of the year. So that's been wonderful. They're uh, people who have finished an undergraduate degree and then come back. So we, I might have a solution for you, Rob. This is a biomedical engineer who's done bio 3D printing. So I'm not sure if they've done a brain yet, but you might not even need the Raspberry Pi. <laughs> it's just a hop, skip and a jump on the way. That's right. And we also hire a bunch of student assistants, uh, like like Rob has as well. Uh, but like Rob said, and I cannot uh, downplay this, uh, it's a huge amount of work in mm -hmm. September, October for the training for those new students. And actually, when we're interviewing people, we'll often ask, "What what year are you in again?" Uh, because if they're in second or third year, like great, we get them to come back, mm -hmm. and then we can have them do some of the training as opposed to uh, the full-time staff having to do the training. So, uh, But it is great because they all bring different things, but the training up front is, is a fair bit of work, like Rob said. Oh, and we also have graduate assistants uh, that we've got funding for. Um, for. They're only with us for 10 hours a week, but we hire them specifically for skills that we're lacking. So I can do the basics of our studio, for example, data analysis with our studio, but I could not teach anything more than the basics. So we always have one student with our studio. We've got another one who's an expert in qualitative analysis, so in vivo, things like that. Again, I can do the basics, but I can't teach the more detailed questions. So we'll, uh, we'll hire people with specific skills uh, to fill those gaps. Thanks, folks. From what I'm hearing is that that student involvement truly is key to make um, makerspaces student-friendly. So for our final question, we would love to find out how we can keep tabs on what you folks are doing in your makerspaces. So are there websites or other places we can visit to learn more about that? So so from, from Olds College, um, I do have a, uh, a a Google site because um, we're we're a Google institution, and so Google Sites was just easy for me to whip something up. Um, I will shamefully admit that it is not um, it is not super up to date, and I don't post lots of stories and stuff on there. Um, you know, just because other time commitments. But um, you know, it's something that I'd like to do, and and one of the things that is just great about hearing from from other makerspace individuals is just the ideas for for you know how you guys have, have run your space and and got that student involvement because you think about it and uh you know that's something that that students can excel at and build their skills for future um you know somebody mentioned work integrated learning i think that was you rob um yeah and and with 
uh, with the Alberta government um, really putting that emphasis on work integrated learning. Um, I'm now going to take that back and figure out how how I can leverage that to my advantage to to maybe take advantage of some of our students to uh, to to involve them in the makerspace. So, but yeah, there's a there's a website. You just go to the Olds College uh, website, Student Life Teaching and Learning Center of Innovation, and then Makerspace is on there. So, yeah, thanks, John. We'll uh, we'll include all of these resources in our show notes. That's for the listeners. Yeah. Well, I want to visit your makerspaces now. I, I have family in Southern Alberta and actually did a year, my first year out of high school at the University of Lethbridge. Uh, so next time I'm in town, I will swing by. Hey, you're definitely welcome to stop by ours. Ours too, of course. Oles <laughs> has a brewing program, so that's an added bonus for a visit to Oles, I think. I think we should all make that road trip. I mean, we, we can compete with that. So, John, that party's going to happen. Marvelous. Well, we have the brewery and then we have a meat store as well because we have a, a butcher program. Um, and then also our greenhouses here uh, sell fresh produce and, and plants on Fridays. So, you know, the only thing we're lacking is a bakery. Uh, that's what I always joke. We need a we need a bakery program, and then uh, I won't have to go grocery shopping anywhere else. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you all so much. This has been brilliant. Yeah, thank you. It's been a wonderful conversation. It's always good when I I learn something new, and I'm going to take a few things away from our conversation. So thank you. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for inviting us. This episode featured Daryl Benebeck and Tatiana Cluster as hosts and Robert Horlacher, Rich McHugh, Jesse Sorensen, and John Newman as guests. Jordana Gagnon was our producer. Ryan Robinson was our sound technician and editor. Thank you also to Joel Godry, Kelsey Janssen, and Jamin Heller for their ongoing support and expertise. Our podcast is funded by Lethbridge College's Center for Teaching, Learning, and Innovation and recorded on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. For more information and inspiration, check out learninginnovation.ca. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, or follow us on your chosen platform. Thanks for listening and take care.